The following is a production by Cutting to the Chase Podcast. Jacob Meisner, Cubby's crib. What's up? Thanks for taking some time here to talk some Cubs with me. Yeah, man. It might be end of the season, but I can always use a little more Cubs in my life. It's honestly perfect because it was so hard trying to do podcasts before games were happening. So this is kind of good to kind of do a, a quick recap. But uh, yeah, needless to say, very disappointing ending, but not surprising considering the way the season was kind of playing out. The offense has just been a a mess the last what three years it seems like I mean where what was your kind of overall thought I guess maybe as the playoffs game one game two were happening against the Marlins and you know where you think about this team now I mean winning a division title meant very little to me simply because I it was pretty apparent by halfway through the season that the division was pretty weak so if you came out on top, you were just the best of the worst. The offense, it's just, it's so frustrating because these issues have been prevalent for three years or more. And, you know, we're talking about payroll implicate or payroll limitations and the implications that that has on Theo and Jed's ability to do their job. So then you're talking about trying to fix an offense without making any real changes and thinking that a guy like Daniel Descalzo or Steven Souza are going to be the answer. And it's not like you've made the decision that this is your core and you're going to roll with them. Well, guess what? This is three years in a row that this core has fallen flat late in the season. And, you know, you, you reap what you sow. I, I don't know why anyone would be surprised that this is how it played out because the writing's been on the wall for quite a while. Totally agree. I mean, in 2017, I gave them the benefit of the doubt. You know, they'd just been there. It was a title defense year. And then in 18, same thing. I was like, all right, benefit of the doubt. Joe Madden, these guys are veterans. But, you know, towards the second half, later part of 18, and of course, 19, it was like, all right, this team, there's something not right. And I even went back uh, I can t- <laughs> to my group chat I was in. I was like, you know, I would be ready for a little mini 2016-like Yankee-type uh, retool and, uh, going back to last year because I was like at the trade deadline before that point. This team is just doesn't have it. They're missing something. They need to just kind of retool, replenish. But this year it was like this team probably isn't going to be better. They started out strong. Pitching looked pretty good. But, I mean, how sustainable was that, especially when the offense is doing what they've been doing? Theo had his end-of-year press conference, and it sounds – and honestly, the running's on the wall. He's about to leave, whether it's now or after next year. Or Yeah, I mean, Theo has been pretty upfront for years now that – once he hits the decade mark, he's probably going to walk. So I, I think that we are all expecting that. I think the overwhelming consensus is that Jed will succeed him in that role. But again, you have an owner who is, as all owners, especially now, are they're very driven by the financials and driven by winning and the money and the, the, the financial benefits that come with it. So does Tom look at Jed and say, look, Theo was great, but I don't want a continuation of that. I want to shake things up. And I think that after this year, it's it's more of a possibility in my mind. Um, 
because at the end of the day, like they've been very good. Don't get me wrong. Theo and Jed and, and Tom and everybody in the Cubs have completely changed what it means to be a Cubs fan, to play for the Cubs, to work for the Cubs. It, it's totally different than it was 10 years ago. But once those expectations change, the bar also gets raised. And I don't know how Tom feels about the job that Theo and Jed have done. Um, I assume publicly he'll say that he's supportive and sees them as the architects of the next World Series champion, Chicago Cubs. But maybe he goes for somebody who, you know, a rising star in the game that doesn't cost $10 million a year to run his baseball ops department. See, that's the thing. I would take maybe I'm biased, I would still take a Theo and a Jed to run a team. The thing is, I don't know if they've been passed over by all the other teams out there, the Padres, in, in terms of the front office and the way they're running their teams now. Um, I don't know if they've been passed over. I, I think I could give Jed, I think I would feel confident if he was taking over Theo's spot. I also don't know if maybe it would be better to just go in a completely different direction and whoever that might be comes in and does his thing. At the same time, it's, you know, I do, th- I mean, I put, I put blame, uh, you know, on the Theo Jet side in terms of maybe not being able to, whether it's them or people under them, not being able to maybe develop pitching or some of the acquisitions they brought. I mean, Darvish has been obviously great. You know, it didn't look great initially. It's been great. But like you said, Descalso, we know that wasn't going to fix the offense. Um, and maybe Ricketts was saying, hey, we've spent $200 million on payroll. We're not going to add more, right or wrong. It's going to be interesting. And now, of course, you kind of alluded to it. Owners are going to be even more skeptical if they weren't already about extensions or big contracts with the pandemic and all that stuff. And Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, they came off horrible years. Do you think going into the season, did you think both would somehow be with the Cubs long term? Or did you expect maybe some one of them might be traded or not You know, end up being moved? Um, I thought pre-pandemic that Javi would be extended by the All-Star break. Um, that seemed like that was kind of the way things were headed. There were a lot of reports during camp that they were inching closer to an agreement, but after the year he had this year, I mean, if you're Theo and Jed, regardless of what you believe caused that performance, you got to take a long look in the mirror. If you're talking $200 million for a guy, um, same goes for Bryant. I mean, kids, got stupid talent and incredible potential. And he's left an indelible mark on the, on the franchise already, but it doesn't matter how good you are if you can't stay on the field. And I don't necessarily blame Bryant for that. The Cubs have been pretty terrible about how they, they manage injured players. So I have no doubt that Chris was either rushed back or tried personally to push himself back before he was a hundred percent. If I had to guess, I would say Baez is still more likely to me to be a, a long-term sign just because of Bryant's injuries. But yeah, man, talk about a uh, a gut check this year with Baez is you know by some measures the worst offensive player in baseball. And two years ago, he was MVP runner-up. So you hope it's just COVID. It's not having fans. It's not having you, but. My God, I, if I had a dollar for every, you know, chest high fastball that Baez just whiffed through this year, it's just, I've never seen him do that. It wasn't just the old Javi 
flailing at sliders. It was him just missing hittable pitches. Yeah, I mean, and I'm glad you brought up the Bryant thing because I've been wondering that myself. I do think he's definitely hurt or the injuries or something is definitely affecting him. And I go back, you said it, I go back to like the Jim Hendry days where I remember it always seemed like they would always say, oh, this injury is not a big deal. He's fine. He's fine. And then we find out, oh, he's been out with the, or he's, he's had a broken this or he should have been on the DL or the IL before. So it's like, I don't know if it's the Cubs. I mean, I, I agree. I do think whether it's, I go back to 18, I know it's the shoulder and whatever ailments. Uh, I remember when he got hit in the head though. I don't know if that had any impact whatsoever, but I mean, yeah, it's, I don't know what they're going to do now. I mean, maybe this helps them in some weird way. Just the fact that they're both coming off kind of bad years. They're not going to be able to get much of a, you know, their stock kind of took a hit, obviously. But if you're trying to trade one of them, I mean, what are you going to get? Especially with, you know, Chris Bryant has, what, a year left on his deal, the stock? It, both both of yeah. them. Both of them have one year yeah. left. So, uh, yeah, next year you're talking about Bryant, Baez, Schwarber, and Rizzo all hitting free agency. And I would say if there's one of them who's – I think Rizzo is going to be the guy who gets extended just because he – what he brings to the table is so much bigger than what he does on the field. Right. But yeah, like you almost expect them to run it back with largely the same group next year, because like you said, what are you going to do? Sell for pennies on the, on the dollar. You're not going to trade a former MVP and a former MVP runner up for fringe prospects or just a payroll dump. I guess they roll the dice until the deadline next year. Hope both guys are playing well and then see what you can do. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I think you could definitely chalk some of it up to the COVID weird stuff happening anyway. Like Baez loves playing in front of fans. He had to get used to no video in the dugout. You hope that that's not just him going from A to Z because he doesn't have video to watch. You would think that he'll make those adjustments and whatever the issue was. Because you saw guys like Ian Happ and Jason Hayward hit the ball. It's like, okay, I get it. I get that there's an adjustment. You got you have to worry with this or you don't have this anymore. But then everybody else has the same thing. They also had to make the same adjustments. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I get that they're this year for, for ball players and for everybody across the world, it's been a year of adjustments. But like you said, we saw guys make them and then we saw guys who didn't or couldn't. So for whatever the reason, it's got to get fixed. But but again, it's hard to envision a scenario where the Cubs aren't rolling with this group again next year because you can't trade them. You're not going to extend them after this year. You know, you're going to want to see them in a quote unquote normal year and see if they can bounce back. And so I get that everyone's frustrated with, I feel like we're just watching the same tape on repeat from mid-September on every year. But I mean, Theo and Judd's hands are kind of tied on this, at least in my mind. Right. Yeah. I was wondering, were you a David Ross guy going into the season as the, the next manager? Or did you think maybe another option might have been the one that played out more or more favorably? I mean, I like Ross. I think he uh, did a overall pretty good job. I I did take issue with some comments like when he was basically like, yeah, I like I mean, maybe maybe in the in the clubhouse, he's saying what he wants to say. But publicly, it was, uh, you know, hitting his heart and uh, I, I like our approach or, you know, things like that. And I was just like, come on, like we, this offense has been awful and you can't sugarcoat it. Yeah. I mean, I, I had no issues with Ross in those instances in particular. I think it was, he kind of was just taking like a, Hey, don't kick them when they're down approach. Like these guys know they're not getting it done. They don't need me to tell them that at this point or, or if he is telling them that he's doing it in, in 
the clubhouse. He's not going to go on on marquee and put put guys on blast. But I did like to see him hold guys accountable. I liked that he was able to go in with Craig Kimbrell and have a super short leash right out of the gate. And, you know, that's tough, uh, especially with a guy that you used to play with. Uh, it's the same thing with Schwarber uh, on that ball in left field late in the year, pulling him for, for a lack of hustle. I liked, I liked that accountability. Um, I don't really put much of the, the blame for how this year I, – I would give the, the credit for the success largely to Ross – the shortcomings, I think, fall more on ownership and the front office and ultimately the players just not performing. The fact that they went out and won a division title after playing two games under 500 after the first 16 games, that's a testament to to a group that's mentally tough and ready to go out and grind. And yeah, I mean, I have no qualms with Ross. I, I, I love Joe Madden. I, I loved what he did, but that was definitely the time for change. For Ross, I, I think he did what he could with the hand he was dealt. Totally agree. Yeah, I think Ross, uh, I would give him probably a B. I mean, I thought he had a pretty solid first year. He dealt with stuff that no one's dealt with in terms of everything going on in 2020, the pandemic and everything. So I'm excited to see what he can do, especially if, they, if they're able to somehow either players produce to the back of their baseball card like we're used to seeing or they're able to make some kind of impactful change and sooner than later, obviously. Yeah, I thought uh, in general, I, de- I I like the accountability also. I mean, I liked Madden. I was a huge defender of Madden. I still defend him, even though I agree that it was time to go a different way after last year. And maybe you could even argue before 19, but I was ready to see one more shot. Yeah, with Ross, uh, I like that he did pull Schorber in that situation. Because, I mean, that was some of the stuff we were hearing about Madden, a little bit loosey-goosey in the clubhouse. And that worked. 15, 16, 17 were fantastic. And I'm not, I'm not even saying that was even necessarily a detriment, but I could see where it might have been you know, at some points where it kind of ran its course, but yeah, it's, it's hard to win when your offense gives you one run in two playoff games against the Marlins. Yeah. I mean, if you can't score, it doesn't matter who you're playing. It, it, that's, I wrote something heading into the postseason, like forget who gets game one and game two. Like to me, it didn't matter if Hendricks started game one or Darvish started game one. And it didn't matter if it was Lester or Alzale or Mills or whoever you wanted to throw in three for me heading into this to the series. If the offense didn't somehow flip a switch right away, they were going to go two and out. And sure enough, I mean, it, it, you could not have asked for more from Hendricks or Darvish. And it's on the offense. It's 100% on the offense. Yeah, I, it's, it's awesome at least to see Darvish just turn it around completely. That's really encouraging. If, if anything, if what the team is encouraging, it's Darvish. I like Hendricks a lot. I feel the same way about him being one or two. Do you think Lester is back? I mean, I don't think they, they pick up the option, but do you think he comes back on a, a lesser deal money-wise, or do you think he might be done? I, I'm i not confident in him coming back. Uh, he did not pitch well this year, plain and simple. Like, not even as a back-end starter. He didn't get it done. Yeah, an ERA and a, and a fifth north of five on both accounts, and that's just not going to play. I love Lester. He's one of my favorite Cubs of all time. I just... I don't know if I'm paying him unless it's like an Adam Wainwright type deal with a low base and it's super incentive laden, then it might make sense. Um, but I could see him going back to Boston or, you know, maybe getting a look somewhere in the South closer to home. Oh yeah. Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but then again, the last time, uh, ask, ask Atlanta if they have any regrets about that $18 million deal for Cole Hamels. I think he pitched three innings this year. So I don't know if they're going to want another aging lefty from Chicago. That's true. 
you know, you also touched on it too. I, I agree. I think Rizzo, I mean, right now he's probably at least the best Cubs player, arguably, at least, you know, offensively and everything he provides. And you mentioned the clubhouse, everything, all the intangibles he brings. I do think at the same time, I would love to see him extended and stay there in Chicago. I also wonder, now I don't know what kind of value he's going to fetch in a trade because you're talking about a guy who's already above 30. But if he's like your best player, do you think there's any way they would even try to trade him if he's like your only value? Because like I, I, don't, I don't see it. But I was wondering, like, are you trying to capitalize on any kind of value at this point to see what you might be able to bring? I think it would be really hard. Um, I could, I, I guess at this point, I would say no, because based on how Theo and Jed operate, they've never seemed to have operated that way. But after this year, I think you do need to look and say, like, we have to find ways to improve this team. We don't have the money to do it in free agency, so we have to be more open-minded come the trade deadline than we've ever been. And even if that, you know, if Rizzo's putting up, you know, if he's on pace for another 400 on base, 30 home or 100 RBI season, maybe it's as, as straightforward as pulling him into your office at the deadline and say, look, you're going to go play for whatever. I don't know. The Phillies. Sure. Like if you're going to say like, look, we're going to trade you. Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe it is, it's like a Jason Hamill thing where they say like, look, we're going to trade you for the second half. We're going to, we're going to bring you back in the off season. Maybe it's something like that, but just with the financial limitations that they had, even pre COVID, you are going to have to get super creative to fix the roster. So at that point, everybody to me, like it, it would be brutal. Like, do you entertain trading you Darvish? I mean, it would be really hard, and the rotation would take a huge hit, but he's your most valuable player right now. That's very interesting, though, because, you know, I, I feel the same way. I was just thinking about that with Hendricks. I'm thinking about, you know, your best asset, and maybe you do capitalize on a U Darvish while he's hot. I mean, with starting pitchers, you just never know. How confident are you that he's going to be healthy heading into an age 35 season? Exactly. I would, and it's not a Darvish, it's not a Darvish thing. It's a right. any thirty-five-year-old pitcher thing. I forget that he's already at that approaching that age. I, I just forget the fact that he is like 34, 35. and it's yeah. I mean, that's exactly it. He's had injury problems. He's on fire right now. He looks like he's just a totally different guy, which is awesome to see. But if they could get some kind of max return, now of course that depends on what you're going to get from a team. But if you're talking about a team that just needs that one pitcher. Uh, to get over the hump, you know, who knows what they might throw in at a trade deadline. Yeah, I mean, I, they, I'd see them floating him this winter, looking at lu- looking at luxury tax and saying, "Hey, we need to cut even more." Well, there's twenty million dollars in one clean swoop. It would it would be tough. It would leave a huge hole in the rotation, and the team in the short term would definitely take a step backward. But uh, on the other hand, like like we already talked about, you can't really trade a Schwarber, a Bryant, a uh, a bias right now because they don't have the they don't have what we hope to be is their actual market value so i wanted to ask how is cubby's crib doing these days i know you've been busy cranking out articles so yeah how's that been going for you and nick uh it's good um i'll be with fansided 10 years in february now so i've been around longer than most of the people who run the company uh, um but it's it's good i honestly like running it more in the off season that's my bread and butter i like trade rumors and trade speculation and free agent speculation and winter meetings and everything that goes into it 
that's my bread and butter. That's, that's when I really lock in um, because a lot of people tune out during that time. So there's a lot of Cubs fans who want to read. So that that's, you know, to me, like if the covering the Cubs, it's such a saturated market that when other sites like kind of take their foot off the gas in the, in the winter, we never, we post the same amount in season as we do out of season, because to me, there's just, there are things that need covered and talked about. And this winter, I don't think we'll have any shortage of topics. That's for sure. Yeah. I wanted to mention that I really appreciated my time with Cubby's crib. It's one of my first primary writing stops that I think of because I was there twice. And yeah, I just remember all the records. It seemed like we would uh, always hit new traffic numbers every month. So it was really fun to be a part of that. Yeah, no, we've got a we got a good group, and I mean the the names all change and swap in and out as people go. I mean, like Tim obviously is now covering the Cubs full time, and like it's cool to see like you go on and do your thing, Tim. Like I said, go on to open Facebook, and it's an article by Tim Stebbins, and it's it's really cool because um, obviously he wrote for us for for a long time, and. But it's like I said, it's been super interesting because I basically started with Cubby's Crib the same time Theo came in. And so I've, I've covered it all from 100 lost seasons to World Series champions and everything in between. So how did you get started with the crib or were you already part of uh, Fansided? No, I applied in college um, when I decided I was going to major in journalism. I wanted to build my portfolio. So I started writing and then I think it was a year later I started running the site and then I brought Nick on two or three years later. And that's, that's what we've rolled with ever since. Yeah, it's definitely built up. I mean, it's huge. So it's really cool to see what you guys are doing. And also I see the hat. I was curious. I was always really curious in how you got your job with Wilson Sporting Goods. Uh, how is that going? How, how yeah. did you get in with them? And how has that been? What is, what is your uh, overall job like? I was actually just recently promoted to the marketing manager role for Louisville Slugger. So I run all the marketing for, for that now, which is super cool. Obviously, when you think about baseball and its history, like Louisville Slugger and, and baseball just kind of go hand in hand. So um, this year's been a little weird, obviously, without, you know, no fans, no all-star game. But next year, it'll be, it'll be fun going back to spring training again. Uh, I'll be down in Atlanta for the all-star game. Uh, I'll probably see some postseason stuff. But it, it, it's cool to you know, to see uh, a brand that, that is so deep in, in history, kind of like not pivot, but also focus on the future too and be forward thinking. Yeah. That's really awesome to hear. Yeah. It's, that's a really cool job. It sounds like a really cool job that you have too. So I'm, I was funny. I was uh, interning with the, the green jackets down in Augusta, Georgia, yeah. and that was fun. I, I was looking for sports after that. I had some interviews with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Nassau Coliseum up in New York, and I ended up not working in sports, but I liked having it as a side hobby with the writing and the podcasting, but it is cool that you were able to get a career in sports. Yeah, no, I, I love what I do. Um, even this year, like I said, where it's just been madness. It, it's been it's been great. It's been nice working from home. I'll be happy when we can all go back to the office. Uh, I love working downtown, but at least now, I guess my dog gets all the attention she wants. I'm curious, are you, uh, I don't hate the White Sox. I'm indifferent, but I can admit they're a fun team. But do you have any joy watching them or do you just kind of be like, screw those guys? <laughs> oh, no, I think it's super exciting. Um yeah, I would root for the White Sox far before I rooted for Brewers or Cardinals. Oh, agree. Right. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't have any ill will toward them. Good for them. 
And anyone who complains like about the the Quintana trade, like, hey, they fleeced us. That's on Theo and Jed. That's not on the White Sox. Did you like that trade when it initially went down? Because I remember defending it. I, I, I got, you know, the idea like, hey, I get it. We're giving up Cease and Eloy. They might be really, really, really good. But I felt in the meet in the short in that 2017 season, I felt like Quintana was a huge reason, if not not the sole reason, but a huge reason why they won that division and all that. But yeah, obviously he hasn't been exactly what you would have expected after that. I mean, he's he's underperformed. You knew long term that deal was going to be a loss, but when you have an opportunity to win a championship or contend for a championship, as Cubs fans know that they don't grow on trees, you got to go for it. Um, so I mean, I don't blame Theo and Jed. It's a horrible trade looking back at it, and we knew we overpaid at the time. It's just that's abundantly clear now. Yeah, I, and I don't know how anybody, I don't think anyone on Chicago's side does this. I see, you know, I'll see Yankee fans go, how do they trade Glaber for Chat? I'm like, they won the World Series. Like, yeah, you can make yeah. that argument if they lose, but even then, it's like you have to take yeah. that chance. Yeah, when that- yeah the, 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 <laughs> the Glaber one, I have never thought twice about, despite my loathing of Aroldis Chapman for all of his off-the-field issues. You knew you needed a closer. You went out and got a closer. You won a World Series. It doesn't matter if Glaber turns into a Hall of Famer. Doesn't matter. Yeah, because he, he could be a Hall of Famer and never win the World Series. I mean, I, I'm sure he will with New York or whoever at some point. Who knows? But yeah, yeah. you said it. Yeah, Game 5 was my birthday back in 2016. And I remember thinking like uh, the day before that was Game 4. And I was like, they can't lose this game. They're screwed. They're going to be down 3-1. It's over. And I remember when they lost that game, I was so pissed off. And I was like, no, nope, they'll be fine. They're going to win it in 7. And then, of course, the, uh, you have the 8-out saved by Chapman. And I was like, yep, all the pressure's on Cleveland now. They're up 3-2. They have to win this, and they're not going to. I felt so confident for some weird reason. I was like, this team has won three in a row before. They've been here before. They have nothing to lose at this point because all the pressure's on Cleveland. And then, sure enough, they ended up, you know, you know how it all went out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My brother-in-law was up. He came up from Nashville to stay with us for the postseason. And once they went down three, one, we were at a, we all went to a party that night and I was like, okay, just uh, tomorrow. I'd let me just watch from home. I don't want to be out in public. Yeah, exactly. If, they, if I have to watch the Indians win the world series at Wrigley field, like I want to be in at my house. And then they won game five so then I was like, all right, we're running it back. Everyone <laughs> sit in the same spot, wear the same jerseys, and then they won game six. And my wife was so mad when I told her we were watching game seven from the house. I was like, we're not changing anything. Everyone, you're going to order the same food. You're going to drink the same drinks. You're going to sit in the same spot. And here we are. So Exactly. I know. It's a superstition. Is Whether it was yours or mine or whoever, it all it, it worked perfectly that time. But yeah, talking about Nashville, I was just thinking before, uh, I was at the winter meetings that previous, well, going into the 2016 season in Nashville. And that's I was right there when Zobra signed his deal to go there. And I'm like, man, that's, yeah. that's a guy that they miss. I mean, just overall professional hitter, clubhouse. Yeah, in general, from a baseball standpoint, such a great, great you know, influence as well as a guy like, you know, going in addition to a guy like Rizzo. Yeah. He's a tough guy to lose. And, but on the flip side of that, I think the Cubs as an organization have had graduation goggles ever since they won the world series. And that's why they've been perfectly content running it back with the exactly. same group. Um, it's like Boston. They, they, they rip it up every two years and then they would win the world series. And then two years later, it's like a whole new team again. Yeah. I mean, you can't for, for worse <laughs> just cause it worked once doesn't mean it's going to keep working. And, and that's where we've seen the front office just get absolutely lapped by 
so many other teams now. Um, San Diego, obviously the the big one, but hmm. they, that's a fun team. Oh yeah, I'm all aboard that bandwagon. Me too. Me too. Aside from money, I was like, Manny, what are you doing? But now I'm like, all right, I see what you're doing, Manny. That's a great pickup. And I, I honestly would think it was awesome if if the Marlins went to the World Series. I, I love that they've embraced this whole bottom feeders. You know, to go through everything they went through and end up where they are, I think it would be hilarious if they knocked out the Braves. Oh, it would be hilarious if they beat the Braves. I don't think they will. In fact, that was the one team that I was confident would not do anything in the playoffs was the Marlins, but who knows? And, you know, I don't I don't think they would get past the Dodgers if they were to beat them, but who knows? They've had their own issues as well, so it would be funny. Anyway, Jacob, thanks so much for taking the time to come on to the podcast today. It was a lot of fun. We'll have to uh, definitely do this again soon. Yeah, let me know if you ever want to do it again. Special thanks to my guest, Jacob Meisner, the editor over at Cubby's Crib. Check them out. You can check out the Cutting to the Chase podcast across Google Play, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify. Be sure to give this podcast five stars. As always, the intro-outro music is produced by my guy, John Christian, and we will catch you next time. Mm